We're in John 17 today. Uh, and this, we're, we are coming to a landing on our study of John's gospel. So the next few chapters we already covered back at Easter time. Uh, so if you missed those, you can find them on our, on our website. Uh, but next week we'll, we'll conclude our study of John's gospel in chapter 21, the last chapter here. Uh, today we're in John 17. This is a, a chapter that has been referred to as, the, as Jesus' high priestly prayer. Um, somebody in the 1500s named it that. Um, there, are, there are some characteristics of that where Jesus is praying for his people as a, as a high priest would, having that intermediary role and saying, God, I'm praying to you on behalf of my followers, your followers. And so there are aspects of that. Other people have called this Jesus' prayer of consecration. And we'll come across that word as we get into the, the chapter together. Uh, to consecrate means to make holy or to sanctify. It makes a little more sense for those of you who speak Spanish because all those words are, are, are kind of uh, synonyms. So santo, santificar, uh, all, that, all those kind of sound more similar in Spanish than they do in, in English. But really to consecrate, to make holy, to set apart, to sanctify, that's all within the same uh, meaning of words. And so people have called this prayer Jesus' prayer of consecration. He's praying that we would be set apart as holy unto the Lord. I simply call it praying the heart of Jesus because in this prayer, we're hearing Jesus praying in a way that reflects his desires to the Father. And so I didn't, I didn't go kind of with either of those uh, titles as you look at your sermon notes there today, but really we're getting a glimpse of Jesus' heart. And I would say that similar to the prayer that's recorded earlier in John's Gospel in chapter 11, Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus, and if you remember in that prayer, he's talking to God the Father, and he says himself in verse 42, I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, which is an interesting thing to include in a prayer. Uh, but it, it tells me something about prayer and about Jesus' heart, that he's praying partly knowing that there's bystanders listening in. And as we come to chapter 17, he knows that some of the bystanders overhearing his dialogue with the creator of the universe, uh, some of those bystanders are sitting here in Pine Ridge Elementary School in the year 2019. And he knew that we would be diving into his word, digging in, and so we are hearing some teaching in Jesus' words. This isn't a chapter that you just skip over and say, well, you know, there's no, there's no commandments to us. There's no instructions. This is just Jesus doing his prayer time. No, this is, this is in the word for a reason that we're to dig in and dive in and find out what are Jesus' priorities. And I'd say you're on safe ground if you find something in this chapter that you then turn to prayer yourself and pray this to God. So maybe you're like uh, the disciples that we've read about here in the Gospels, where in the synoptics they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus gives them a template for prayer that I, I would encourage us, why don't we do that today? Why don't we recite it from memory, the, the prayer that begins, Our Father. If you know it, say it along with me, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's pretty impressive. You guys know that. We don't do that every Sunday, do we? 
Well, that was a, an explicit model for prayer that Jesus laid out. And if you dissect that and dig into it, you'll see a lot of elements that would be good for us to incorporate into our own prayer lives each day. To remember, it's all about his kingdom. It's all about his glory. He's the one that provides everything we need. There's a lot of stuff we want, but he gives us the bread we need. It's a daily bread. It's not a, an annual loaf. There's a lot of elements in there. God, help me to forgive. Help me to reflect your heart to the people around me, even those who hurt me and wrong me, because you forgave me. And so Jesus shows us how to pray, and I think he does that again here in chapter 17. It's a different version of the prayer, but we're seeing Jesus' heart. So let's dig in and find out what is important enough to Jesus that he prays to his Father on behalf of himself, on behalf of his followers, and even on behalf of the world. So let's read now in, cha in chapter 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, I've got to pause there. What words? Well, that, that's a little trigger to tell you, look at the context. What has been happening up to this point? Um, if you see the word therefore in Scripture, you need to find out what's it there for, right? And in this case, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words. So easiest thing to do would be to look up one verse and remember some of the context that we've been studying in the weeks uh, prior and leading up to this. So Jesus says in verse 33 at the end of chapter 16, I have said these things to you, to his disciples, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's the immediate context of this prayer. A reminder to Jesus' disciples that there's always these two realities. There's this world the, the created moral order in active rebellion against God. And then there's the kingdom of God and his glory and his authority. And there's a daily decision on which of those kingdoms do we live in. And in, in the world, we, we will have hardship. We will have tribulation. If you are a, a son of God, a daughter of God, and you're not living in active rebellion toward him, you're going to bring some animosity to yourself from the world who's still standing in opposition to God. So within that context now, Jesus prays these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's pause there and kind of dig into what we've, what we've read and what we've seen and heard in, in Jesus' prayer thus far. So the hour, that's a theme that we've seen here in John's Gospel. It's, it's that culmination of Jesus' entire purpose, his mission on this earth. The hour is now here. It's, it's the moment when he is going to be exalted, lifted up. And there's, a, a, there's three or four meanings to what that is, right? So on the one hand, he's going to receive the glory that's actually his. Um, Jesus, we found out in verse 1 of John, John chapter 1, verse 1, that he's been there since before the world was created. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus has always been glorious. He's always been, he's had that deity 
part of him forever, right? The divinity, the, the God portion of Jesus has been there forever. But then something was added to Jesus, which actually subtracted from his glory. Subtraction by addition. Uh, what was added to Jesus was humanity. He took on flesh. He became a human. We were talking about this at the young adult group on Tuesday night. That idea of subtraction by addition. It would be like if you have a really nice Corvette with a nice shiny red metallic exterior and a great big engine under the hood and you took it down a muddy dirt road somewhere and now that beautiful specimen of a vehicle is coated with mud. Something was added to it that actually subtracted from it and yet underneath that layer of mud it's still a beautiful shiny Corvette with a powerful engine. That's kind of what happened when Jesus took on humanity. But now the hour has come when he's going to be clothed with glory once, once again. It's going to be evident and clear that he is God, that he always has been God, that he always will be God. He had that glory before the world even came into existence. The hour has come. There's other ways that you can look at in John's gospel what it means to be lifted up or to be exalted for Jesus. Literally, in his crucifixion, he is lifted up on a cross. He's exalted on a cross and hung out there for the world to see. And then after his death, he's again exalted and lifted up from the grave. He's resurrected. And finally, there's the ascension when he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And we look forward to his return. And so that's what Jesus means when he says, the hour has come. There's a turning point in the story that we've been reading here in the eyewitness account of Jesus recorded by John. So Jesus is praying that now as the hour has come that the Son will be glorified as as the Father is glorified. And and then Jesus is also saying the whole entire purpose of of this and his life has been all along to glorify God. What does that word glorify mean? That's not a common word that you probably use around your home, right? Um, To glorify, it can mean to praise, to honor, to lift up. One commentator says that the primary meaning here is to clothe in splendor. To to shine, uh, uh, to make shine brightly, to Clothe in splendor, to make him look uh, as impressive as he really is. I think about glory as one aspect of it is improving God's reputation. You know, because really, when, when we glorify God, we're not adding anything to God. He is totally and completely glorious whether or not anyone recognizes that. But as we glorify him, we're seeing him as he is. We're making his glory known to the people around us. And Jesus in his prayer is saying, glorify your son. It's not adding anything to Jesus. He's always been glorious since before the dawn of time. And yet in his prayer now that that he would be praised and honored and lifted up and clothed in splendor. This prayer is a very safe prayer because you know without a doubt this is the heart of God. Jesus is coming to his father and saying, glorify your son and I'm going to glorify you. This is God's primary action and motivation in the world is to bring glory to himself. And that's entirely appropriate when you are the creator of all things. If his goal were anything else, he would be committing idolatry. So because God is saying that the ultimate 
end goal of everything that exists is to bring glory to himself, you're on safe ground when you say, God, glorify your name. Jesus, be exalted, be lifted up, be praised, be honored. It's a fantastic way to begin your prayer time, as Jesus did here. You know you're on safe ground. And so when you, when you get a picture of something that you know is already in God's plan, what, what does that do to your prayer time? You know, if you know that, well, God always intended that he would receive glory, and so I'm actually asking him to do something that he already wants to do, as you get a glimpse of his sovereignty, that he's the king and he's in charge of things, does that make you kind of feel like a, a fatalism feeling? Like, well, why even pray then? I hope not. I hope instead that when you recognize God's sovereignty, it pushes you to prayer and to joyfully and expectantly praying the very heart of God that he would be glorified. Uh, We'll see other examples coming up in the prayer of things that God already wants that we would know by reading his word. These are things in line with God's heart. And as Jesus prays them and articulates them, it's a model for us to say it's okay to know what God wants and to pray exactly in line with those things to bring our hearts in line with his heart. And Jesus says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. There's a reminder of where all glory and authority belongs. This is a common human sin, that we take glory for ourselves, that we presume that authority resides in my status, my position, uh, my stage in life, whatever it may be. We start to think that you you and I have glory or authority. And this is a reminder in the prayer that all authority belongs to God. If you have any authority, it's delegated to you by God as a dad, as a mom, as an employee, as a, as, a, as a business owner, whatever sphere of authority that he has entrusted to you, it's delegated by him. He is the supreme authority over all. And we all come to him with that submission, with that humility, recognizing that he is the only one who is glorious and authoritative. And that puts us in the right place where he can then use us. So Jesus here is, is speaking of authority where it resides praying to his father and saying that that in verse 2, you have given him authority over all flesh, anything created. What does Jesus do with that authority that's delegated to him? He brings eternal life. There's a reminder here of where that eternal life comes from and who it is reserved for. Notice the, the verses here repeated again later in Jesus' prayer. There are humans that God the Father has given to Jesus. Do you look at yourself that way if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian? That recognition of, wow, what a privilege. God knows me and loves me to the point that he gave me to his son, Jesus. Do you see salvation in that way? That should bring joy to your heart. That's what what the teaching is here in this verse. Uh, Eternal life to all whom you have given him. You're a gift from God to Jesus. Boy, that that should rock your world in terms of your conception of your own identity, right? And I think think it, it strengthens the salvation message if it's just a message of, you need to choose to accept Jesus. That puts it all on you. But when you recognize God's sovereignty in drawing you to himself 
in giving you to Jesus and then Jesus' plan in saving you and blessing you with eternal life, man, that deepens the reverence and the respect and the awe that you have for God, the joy that comes with that. It's a great way to share the good news with others as well. To say whatever has happened to your life, in your life to this point, the in the world way of living where you've been in rebellion toward God, today is the day that I'm going to tell you that God has chosen you to give you to his son Jesus as a gift and to introduce you to eternal life. Man, I don't know who would reject that offer of of living in God's love in that way. Eternal life here is equated with knowing the glorious, eternal, only true creator God in Jesus' prayer. It's not just that you get some detached life where you just live forever, but really life itself is in him. It's found in him. Those who know him and believe in him and put faith in him, life comes with that. Jesus said here in John's gospel, as in the I am statements that Larry covered a couple weeks ago, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus is saying, if you want life, come to me. And that's the invitation and the prayer that Jesus is praying. Make that your prayer. So then Jesus continues on in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. There's that, so, so another, uh, another clue to your own identity here in Jesus' prayer, you're out of the world. You could just tell, you know, tell your spouse that later today. Hey, I'm out of this world, baby. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, the world has been used in a very negative sense here in John's gospel, right? It's, it's this created moral order in active rebellion toward God. But as, as God looks at that reality of a, of a sin-sick world rebelling against him, against his good plan, how does he respond? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And there's a reminder to Jesus' followers here, you are out of the world. So, so Christian, as you look at the world, Look at it with God's heart of love that says, I came out of the world. God saved me from that mess, that train wreck of a life where I was in rebellion toward God and he put my feet firmly on the rock and he gave me hope, not just in this life, but in the life to come. And so as you look at the world around you, have that same hope and joy. Pray the heart of Jesus that prays that those in the world will be brought from the world. Jesus says, I'm, not, I'm actually, at the, in this point in the prayer, not praying for the world. I'm praying for the, fo- the disciples, the followers, those that have believed. And so we're seeing here in the beginning of Jesus' prayer, a prayer for you and I. Really, really in this context, a prayer for the disciples alive at this time in history. It's coming to us in just a moment here. There's a prayer here that, that, that those who 
those who have been given to Jesus will continue to belong to God, that they will be keeping God's word, that they will be receiving and glorifying Jesus in their lives. I think we're on safe ground to pray the heart of God when we pray and ask that Jesus be glorified in our world and in our church and in our lives and in our families. In fact, I'm going to put somebody on the spot here. Is there someone who would volunteer to lead us in a prayer as a congregation on this part that we've read so far? Just stand up and boldly pray out that he would be glorified. Don't be be timid. Thank you, Brian. Go for it. Let's pray together. Amen. Let's continue on in verse 11. There's a a bit of a turn now in Jesus' prayer. He's been praying about the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son and that the world and, and the followers of Jesus will be brought into alignment with glorifying him and magnifying him. Now he he continues this prayer for his followers that they will remain on the same mission that Jesus was on and continue that work in this world. So verse 11 says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Who's he referring to there? Judas, correct, yes. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate or sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So this is where you get that phrase, in the world, but not of the world. That's taken right from Jesus' prayer. Uh, As you think about your life, um, if he didn't want you in the world, you wouldn't be here. There's a mission you have. No matter how miserable your week was, no matter what's going on in your physical body or your emotions or your mental state, there's a reason he's got you here in the world. If he was done with you, you would no longer be in the world. But while you're in the world, you're not to be of the world. Because remember, the the world is in active rebellion toward God. So you're in the world, but not of the world. 
You're living out the kingdom of God values right in the middle of this sin-sick world. And he's got a mission for you. He wants to use you for his glory. And there's a prayer that he has for you. He's praying that God will enable you to live in that tension of in the world but not of the world. That you'll have the strength for each day that you'll resist the evil one. Rejecting sin and its path that will lead to rebellion toward God and to pain in your life and the lives of those around you. That he'll enable you to carry out that same mission that Jesus had, to glorify God and make him known in this world. There's some good news here in this part of the prayer. In verse 12, Jesus says, I have guarded them. I think we could make that our prayer and say, God, keep my heart from the world and for your glory. The same kind of work that Jesus did in the lives of his disciples. We need that today, right? That God will guard us and keep us and preserve us. We, we have a reminder of one who, who had a, a different mission in mind that God had called him to, named Judas. This is the disciple, the follower, that, uh, that was a traitor. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And we've heard his story before. Uh, really, I think in Judas, you've got the embodiment of this world kind of living, active rebellion against God. When you get to hang out with Jesus himself and see the miracles and hear the teaching and yet at the end of the day you betray him for 30 pieces of silver. That's, if anything, a picture of active rebellion against God. And the verse that Jesus is referring to where he says in the scriptures, if you look back in Psalm 41 verse 9, there's a verse that predicts what Judas will do. It says this, Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So way back in the, in the Old Testament, you have a prophecy of what's to come in that, in that uh, rejection of, of Judas to the plan of God and the Son of God and the Word that could have brought eternal life in his life. So really, those are the two choices. You know, there's no other option. I, th- I, think, I think a lot of us would like more than two options. So really, I have to either choose to live in the kingdom of God and know his son, Jesus, and have my sins cleansed by him and have him be my hope for eternal life, or it's this betrayal and rejection and active rebellion toward God and judgment and damnation in my future. Those are the only two options. What about just kind of living the American dream and tacking a little bit of Jesus on? Isn't that like a third possibility? There's only two options. And Jesus, in his prayer, is reminding us of that stark reality. But there's good news there that he, as he kept and guarded his disciples here in the prayer, that same ministry is available to you and I. It's not in our strength, it's in his righteousness. And so we come to him with that prayer and say, Jesus, keep me, guard me, as you did your disciples here in the story. I am a follower. Guard me, keep me from the evil one. Keep my feet on your path. Uh, Another prayer here that we see is a prayer for that joy would be fulfilled in themselves, Jesus says. Make that your prayer and say, God, fill me with your joy today. Make that my source of strength. Jesus says, I have given them your word. Include that in your prayer time and say, God, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the word. Thank you for the book here that documents this, the precious scriptures that show us who Jesus is. 
And then as you dig into it, thank him more as you pray and, and apply it to your life. Asking him to change you and mold you and shape you to conform to the image of Christ as you learn who he is and what his priorities are. Uh, Jesus, at, towards the end of this, he says the world has hated them, his followers. He prays that, that the Father would keep his disciples from the evil one. And then the reminder that they are not of the world. Turn that into a prayer. And say, God, help me to endure. Preserve me today. Help me to, to, to stand up under hardship and tribulation and struggle that comes my way because of the world that is sin-sickened and lashes out at the true followers of the one living God. Keep me. Remind me that I belong to you and to your kingdom. Make that your prayer. And then there, at the end here of, uh, that we've read, verses uh, 17 through 19, there's this, this discussion of, of, of being sanctified and consecrated and set apart. That word holy is really the adjective that applies to God. There's nothing else that's holy, right? So when you hear that word holy, think God-like. You know, this is, a, this is an adjective that only applies to God. And when something is made holy, that means it's made for worship to God. So when you are praying, sanctify me, consecrate me, make me holy, you're saying, take this ordinary human being and transform me into something that can be used to point glory to you and to be used to worship you and to honor you and to praise you, to exalt your name. That's the prayer that Jesus is offering. And he's even saying that he himself has been sanctified or consecrated. He's saying that he himself has now proven by his life and as he goes obediently to the cross, cross, his own obedience is proof that he is pointing all of his energy, all of his attention to bringing glory to God. And he's setting that as an example for us and saying, Father, help them to continue down this journey, this process of being sanctified, consecrated, made holy. Has, has anyone here in the room achieved that fully uh, at this point in life? You're completely 100% holy, sanctified. You no longer need this prayer. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to find out more about that. Uh, um, this is a prayer that, that should give us hope. God's not finished with us. There's an ongoing work that he's doing. And you're on good, solid ground when you pray like Jesus did. God set me apart to worship you. Here, Jesus reminds us that the word is truth. Pray that. God, give me a love for your word. Help me to walk in your ways. Really, the ultimate word of God is Jesus himself. We've seen here in John's gospel over and over again. In fact, in the, in the verse that we use for the name of our church, once again, uh, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. Look to him. He also promised us in, in the last chapter, in chapter 16, verse 13, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so as we pray, God, lead me into your truth. As I open your word, help me to see the truth from the distorted lies that I've believed in my own head, that I've heard in the values of the culture around me. And instead, God, by your spirit, through your word, help me to see Jesus. Help me to grow 
in my knowledge of who you are, in my heart beating like yours, that everything, all the strength that I have would be focused on you and on your glory. And he will answer that prayer. And finally, the other element that I see here is that Jesus is sending his disciples into the world. Is that a part of your prayer? To say, God, I'm a follower of Jesus. Send me into the world where it's dark, where there's people living in active rebellion toward you. God, use me in that reality. Send me and use me for your mission in the world. Make that a part of your prayer. We've got a team that just came back from a, a, a difficult part of our region up on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. Bringing good news, and that was their prayer and our prayer for them as they went out. We're looking forward to hearing some more stories of how God used you. I bet, I bet it wasn't all um, a walk in the park. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that maybe some of Jesus' words about in this world you will have tribulation. There could have been some of that, um, that that came along with that. As you pray that prayer this week, God, send me out into the world. I'm driving to work. I'm commuting down, and someone just flipped me off. I'm not going to respond because I don't belong to this kingdom. I'm going to continue to exude your love and to show that I'm your follower in my actions, my reactions, my words, my life example, my priorities and values. God, give me the strength I need to stay on mission no matter what sphere of influence you've placed me in. Finally, verse 20, Jesus prays now that the world may know God's love. He says, I do not ask for these only, not just for the disciples there with Jesus at that time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. The disciples who are made by the disciples. Guess what? That includes us in the room right here today. So there's a prayer that Jesus is praying that each subsequent generation of disciples would be blessed and worked on in their hearts in the way that he's about to describe. This applies to you. This applies to the people that he will bring to himself through your ministry, through your example. Those who will believe through, through your word and through the words of the disciples here. And what's his prayer? Verse 21. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Well, that's, that's some intense intimacy. Are you ready for that? This is Jesus' prayer for the church, that we will have the same kind of love and unity and oneness working within this body of believers, the same kind of unity and oneness that God the Father has with Jesus the Son. That's intense. That's not just a little, you know, oh, hey, God bless you, brother, have a good week kind of oneness. This is some intense intimacy that Jesus is praying for all who belong to him. And the end result at the end of verse 21 is so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This echoes the command that Jesus left in, in chapter 13, verse 35. A command to love one another. And then he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
So this fits right in with that commandment that he left. Now he's turning it into a prayer. And he's saying, God, help them to have that oneness that you and I have had since before the dawn of time because that's how the world will believe that you've sent me when they look in and go, there's no possible way that such a diverse group of human beings could just uh, come to a place of oneness on their own strength. Even if we started kicking out anybody who's not exactly like you, (laughs) it's more tempting to do that at times, right? Let's just boil it down to the least common denominator. And and anybody who disagrees with me on some little point, let's just, they're an inconvenient nuisance. Let's get them out of here. Pretty soon it would be just you all alone in that office. And you'd probably still be conflicted. Right? But the miracle is when you bring people from all kinds of different backgrounds, walks of life, perspectives, skin colors, languages, ages, backgrounds, socioeconomic conditions, and you bring them all together to the foot of the cross, and all of a sudden all those lines blur because all that's important is the greater glory of God and Jesus exalted and magnified. And that's when the world says, what is happening there? We have no context to even understand this. That kind of radical oneness that's only possible through Jesus. We, we've, we've also seen this in the, in the metaphor that Jesus used a couple chapters ago, the vine and the branches. Where's the life source? As we remain in him, that nourishment comes up from the roots and it produces fruit in our lives and that fruit remains. The world is that harvest that is the fruit that comes. More disciples coming to Jesus, no longer in the world, well, still in the world, but no longer of the world, right? That the world may believe. Then Jesus says in verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Jesus has given you glory. I thought we just saw that glory was this thing reserved exclusively for God, that he's the one who's glorious. Well, in the sense of clothed in splendor, right? The, 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 the story of the Ferrari with the mud on it still being glorious underneath all that dirt and mire. And now Jesus comes and he clothes you with that splendor that Jesus has we, we have it in a song, right, that we sing. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. And you come to him and you, and you receive that mantle that Jesus lays on you of his righteousness. And there's glory that comes with that. There's praise and honor coming to you as a daughter of the king, as a, a son of the king. You may not feel that today. You may be looking in the mirror and seeing mostly mud. But just remember, your identity is in him. And there's an eternal life that follows this life. He's still working in you. He's being glorified in your life as you follow after him. And this is Jesus' prayer. The, the beauty here, again, if you need a template or, or a motivation or example of why you should bring good news to people, here it is in verse 23. That the world may know that you sent me 
We're bringing good news about Jesus so the world will know who he is. We're living in Christian community with one another in ways that are faithful to Jesus' plan, that oneness that God the Father had with Jesus, so that the watching world will know Jesus is the real thing. And the end of that verse, and that you loved them even as you loved me. The world needs to know about the love of God. This is not a list of do's and don'ts and rules and religion. The whole motivation is God's love for those who are in active rebellion toward him. For God so loved the world that he gave. And that needs to be a part of your good news message that you bring to the people around you. God loves you. Start there. Most people are pretty receptive to that news. And that's a part of Jesus' prayer, that the world will know the the love of the Father. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Here we're seeing a picture of God's redemption plan. If you want the big overview of that, go back and read Genesis 1. When God creates every aspect of creation and he says it is good, it is good, it is good, that's a picture of the pre-sin condition of God's good work. Then next, face the hard reality of sin in Genesis 3. Then take a look at John 1, verse 1 that we've read and referred back to through our study of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now in the middle of human history, Jesus comes on the scene to initiate God's redemption plan, to take it to the next level, to make it possible. And finally, take a look at the last chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. You're going to see that every tear has been wiped from every eye. There's no more suffering. There's no more pain. God makes his dwelling among us. And his redemption plan is culminated in the return of Jesus as the king. When you get a picture of that, then pray that God's redemption plan be fulfilled in your life and in our world. That's Jesus' prayer right here. He's praying that God's redemption plan will be active and living in the hearts of his followers. He ends it this way in verse 25 and 26. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Make that your prayer. Pray that the world may know God's love through Jesus and in our lives. And that aligns with God's whole mission in sending Jesus to this earth. Can we stand together in his presence and and let's make this our prayer today. Uh, We're going to just take a quick look at some announcements there in your bulletin so you're aware of things that are happening around the Way Church in the the days and weeks ahead. Um, One thing that's not in there, but you can mark your calendars, there's a date set for the chili cook-off October 13th, right after church. So that's uh, just around the corner, and that'll be in Watkins at at the Lang Homestead there. And so um, start getting those chili recipes ready, you know, purchasing your hot chilies and, and uh, whatever else you want to do, getting creative. Uh, you, can, you can talk to Jenny Hobbs 
uh, for some more information about that, how you can participate. Starting next week, there'll be a sign-up, so you can uh, sign up to bring various items. But, you know, it's a fundraiser for our youth group. It's also a great fellowship opportunity for the church and a chance to eat some food together and, and enjoy uh, some, some time as a, as a church family. So that's October 13th. Um, also, on your way out, uh, there's a couple chair samples that one of our elders, Don, has been... Uh, has been responding to some of the uh, complaints that maybe these chairs are better suited for elementary age people than for, than for full-grown adults. So, you know, I was thinking we should go back to the 1800s anxious bench that they used in the, in the Great Awakening, uh, just a wooden bench, you know, and the hell-fired hell brimstone preachers, but the, I haven't gotten a lot of uh, support of that idea yet. Um, <laughs> So uh, check, out, check out those chairs that Don has. We're, we're, we're not looking at replacing all the chairs, but on having some of those if, if, if that's been a, an issue for you to be able to uh, enjoy, this, enjoy the service and our time together, then we'd like to at least have a couple rows of those that you can grab or bring your own lawn chair is what I've been saying too. So, uh, and then you can give Don your feedback on those. Appreciate that. Um, let's see. The, the last thing I'd like to do is invite my lovely wife to come up and share an announcement for the women's ministry. So here she comes. Good morning, ladies. We have got a couple of really great opportunities for you, so I really want you to listen up. First off, we have the women's Bible studies starting back up. And you know, all of us have busy lives. This is how we live in our culture today, right? We have so much stuff on our agendas. But we have an opportunity for you to come once a week and spend time with sisters in the Lord, to get to know each other, fellowship, support each other. If you're in a crazy time of life, we help you to find that peace, to stop and breathe for a minute and remember what's important. If you're hurting, we pray for each other, lift each other up, support each other. We're there in practical ways. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss out on this opportunity. We have a Tuesday night study. We have a Wednesday morning study. If you look in the bulletin, there's people you can contact for information about how to get there and where to be and when. They are wonderful opportunities to dive into God's word. We are studying the attributes of God this, um, this fall, and we're definitely not going to cover all of them. <laughs> we'll cover a few of them. And um, this is a really good time to just grow deeper in Jesus and with your sisters in Christ. Um, secondly, we have a really awesome opportunity coming up soon at the end of September. September 28th, mark your calendars, ladies. Clear them. I don't care what's on it. You don't want to miss this. We are going to have a one-day ladies' retreat. This is a time for us to just get away, to refresh, to dive into God's word, to be with each other and get to know each other better. And we would like to literally see every single woman that is from our church body there. So if you're a guy and your woman is not here today, you tell her. She's got to sign up, okay? So after service, I'll be out there by the table um, if you want any more information or to sign up. And next, you can, you can still sign up then as well. We really, really want you to be there, ladies. This is going to be a precious time with each other and with Jesus and his word. Thank you.